These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. I am Dave Marr. I'm the host of the show. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago. I was in a coma for a month, uh, what is it, almost seven years ago? Almost eight years ago at this point now. So it's pretty much ancient history. I just happen to have uh, made all my work in its shadow since then, including this podcast. So we are going to get to the bottom of death. We're going to conquer it, and then the show will be over. So hopefully we get there soon, you know. Um, I think we're really on the verge of solving this thing. But let's, let's get, let's cut the shit. Let's get to the fact that this is part two of my episode with Ross Simonini. Ross is an artist. I think I overpronounced the O there. But anyway, Ross is is an artist, a visual artist. He is a musician. He is a writer. He records podcasts and audio experiments himself. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. You should check out his Instagram, which is linked in the show notes. He also has a visual art show called The All at Anonymous Gallery, which is running until February 19th, 2022, which happens to be this year for me, but who knows when you're listening to this. So if you get a chance to see that show in person, please go see that in New York. If not, check out his Instagram, check out his other projects. We are hopping back into the conversation. We previously talked a lot about the unknown. I asked the big, what do you hope happens when you die question. We debated the merits of of life itself. And now we are dropping down into a couple of specific moments. I almost want to say supernatural. I don't know if Ross would disagree with me there, but um, some some unexplained moments for him that have happened. And I'll just leave it at that. And so we'll get into it. Before we do, I just want to say the only way that people find out about This Is Your Afterlife is word of mouth. So if you can provide that word of mouth, I would be very grateful. Some ways you can do that include writing a review of the show in your app. I think Spotify has places for reviews now. Also, you can simply subscribe to the show. Little things like that, you can spread word of mouth without even opening your mouth. Also, if you like this show and you want to support my work, please go to patreon.com slash Dave Marr. You can hear so much more of the show, including the regular um, This Is Your After Show debrief podcast that I do with Claire Favret and Megan Strickland, both comedians, friends of mine, and past guests of the show. You can also hear the full conversations, just the raw audio of these conversations. The full one with Ross has been up for a week. Um, There's even more than just part one and two. I think there's an extra 30 or 45 minutes of conversation worth checking out. If you are a Pigeon Level subscriber, thank you. Those people are Kurt Chang, Katie Llewellyn, Susie Carroll, and Fred Fidoa. So thank you to those people. Thank you to you for listening. And now I'll let you listen. Here is Ross Simonini. I grab your whip and take it back to Shatown. When I'm in Shatown, I treat it like... But we finally have found a great portal into a very concrete question, which is, 
funeral planning, one of these moments of, uh, you know, of, of marking a life, what is involved in your ideal funeral? Well, when I was, uh, I guess it was 17 or 18, I completed this play that I started when I was 12. And it was a play that was intended to take place at my funeral. And I cast uh, people in my life in these different roles. And it was a, a story that I had written. And it wasn't supposed to be held in a church. It was... At, at, at this point, it was going to be held in this preserve near the house where I grew up, and and that was that was my idea then. And it's kind of stuck. I don't I know where that play is anymore. I I need to find it, but uh, but it's the only play I've ever written. So I'm I'm not you know I'm not a playwright here, but it's uh, that seemed to be for some reason what I arrived at. Um, was the idea of of casting everybody in my life in a some kind of narrative um, where they all interacted, and and what was it like? What was the play? I can't speak exactly to what it was because basically I wrote it when I was twelve, and then looked at it again when I was eighteen and refined it a bit, and haven't returned to it since. Okay. But it. It was a kind of um, fable that I wrote. Okay. That, okay. That where everybody were, was animals and uh, and they all had to do fairly absurd, silly things. And I like that idea that everybody was forced into this state of silliness and this state of of um, embarrassing themselves, being vulnerable. And in just in the way you said, you know, I, I'm, I'm so embarrassed by the idea of somebody saying you're brilliant. Well, of course I am too. You know, I, I have, I have, uh, I'm, I'm not the best compliment taker and I, I work at that, but we also probably both know that that's not the best tendency. And, and that this self-effacement comes out of something that's not really necessary. I mean, I, I don't think that that's helping me out, refusing those compliments. So kind of breaking down those kinds of embarrassments and knowing people and this kind of, yeah, what what is opened up in those moments. So I guess that's what I would want it to be more abstractly is like something that is people opening up to something new rather than the traditional mournful ceremony, which I've never honestly experienced a whole lot of uh, catharsis from is, is that sure. I, I wish I had experienced some nice death rituals, but I haven't yet. It is it are you imagining a play that's sort of primal? Like I'm imagining in sort of like an archetypal like commedia del arte way, like something where people are like just a yeah, able to tap into these like 
oh, mom will play the clown, you know? Dad will play the bully or something um, in this play. Yeah, I think um, something like that, I think. I mean, again, imagine I I was 12, so it was the mind of a 12-year-old. Right, right, right. But there are certain things that I experienced when I was young, ideas like this or dreams where I promised myself at that age that I would never, I, you know, I already knew at a young age that, that children were dismissed mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it, which is funny because what we're saying, you know, we were talking earlier about how we you know, venerate youth, but then we also mm-hmm. dismiss children as being unable to vote or, or, or other, you know, right responsibilities. But I knew that. And I knew that, these ideas that I had as a kid and dreams, um, literal dreams, I mean, like, like actual dreams I had, um, and were something that the adults would dismiss. And that I, when I became an adult would likely dismiss. And so I made promises to myself about certain things that I would never ever dismiss certain ideas that I had. And so this was one of them where I said, no matter what, when you get older, you can't dismiss this. You have to like, reconcile with the fact that you were this person and this was your idea and you felt very strongly about it. And, um, and there are certain beliefs that I had when I was a kid that certain things happened to me, uh, that I knew could be interpreted as fantasy, but I, I swore to myself, you know, these, these ideas, you have to accept that they were real and you, you can never, if you, you're kind of committing a, a sin against your yourself if you were to to dismiss these ideas you had when you were a kid. So this was one of them, and it's, it's why I stick with it. And I love that you were eight. I love that you've stuck to that and not also dismissed that. You know, you can dismiss the right. the fantasy, yeah. but then also you could just go, oh, and the part of me that said this is a sin. I'll, I'll dismiss that as well. That like that second layer of commitment you did stick to. Well, it's kind of connected to the idea we were just talking about, about life, not being sort of a single high point, Mm -hmm. uh, whatever that is. And then, and then a long downhill fall, um, but rather being a series of, of, of high points and recognizing, okay, then, then if I had a high point at 12, then that, that, is not any higher or lower than the high point I have at 49 or whatever. Uh, And I have to respect that just as much. You know, I I can't pretend that that 12 year old just, because the whole notion is that, okay, by being in the world longer, what we have more knowledge and the more knowledge makes us better. And that whole idea seems silly, especially when we're thinking about the unknown as being the greatest thing of all and the, the biggest right. thing of all how can you possibly say that more knowledge and more experience is actually the goal i mean we know that that especially in the information age we've kind of gone there and we can all see like you're never going to get you're never going to get to that point you know um so if that's the case then you know we have to i and that, but it's also not worshiping the 12 year old you know it's also not saying sure sure saying the 12 year old you know knows more than I will ever, you know, I, I think that's great. I mean, I love, you know, Picasso who, who tried to paint like a child. And, and I think that about that and, 
and I love children's art, but I'm not going to say that it's better than any other art. It's just also worth acknowledging. So that, that's how I feel about it. And I feel that, yeah, I, I had some ideas when I was younger that, that I got, you know, they were some of the best ideas I ever had. Right. You know, and I had some experiences when I was younger that I still can't say if they were real or they weren't, they were make believe, but I'm never going to dismiss them as being, um, not valid. So normally the next question I like to ask is for someone to relive, um, uh, choose one memory to relive, uh, you know, there you're, you're in an afterlife where you get to, um, you get to choose one memory to fully relive whenever you want. Instead of that, if you're down for it, I would love to hear about one of these childhood experiences that you could dismiss now but choose not to. Uh, sure, sure. So I had um, I had an experience when I was young where something came into my room and brought me out of my room and brought me into the sky. And I had all sorts of wild feelings while I was in the sky, things I didn't really adult, like, 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 like ecstatic joy, but also like great despair. And I felt all these things. And then when I woke up, I was, not in my room, but on the floor uh, in another room in the house. So, okay, obviously we can interpret that as a dream and I slept walked or, or something like that, right? Um, but we could also look at it through other lenses, you know, like there's something there that relates to the whole um, extraterrestrial, you know, contactee kind of narrative, right? <laughs> there's something there that relates to the angel visitation kind of narrative um there's there's something called the kobolds um which is um, a mythology and uh that in different forms takes place all around the the world but um but it relates to that mythological narrative and it could have been a dream but i'm also not someone who draws a hard line between dreams and and reality, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think that um, dreams are not reality. I mean, if we're not privileging life over death, we can hardly privilege yeah. reality over dreams. And some people do think, you know, when, when we die, we go into the imagination. And that's, um, and then you spend a lifetime cultivating the imagination so that when you, when you do die, you've cultivated this place, this the state of, of being of the imagination mm. or the imaginal realm as it's sometimes called. Uh, and that you're preparing that and, and um, or, or perhaps you're not changing the space, but you're preparing the, your pathway to it and making, making it accessible to yourself. Um, so I, I, and I'm someone who, who has, you know, spent a lot of time lucid dreaming and trying to, 
investigate that dream space. So, um, so that's one that, that comes to mind that, that, that was very important to me that I refuse to this day to label it. I mean, I, I, I would never refer to it as, you know, being of any of those traditions I mentioned or refer to it simply as a dream, but simply just, it, it was an experience that I had in life that was very important as many dreams have been, you know, many dreams have been extremely important to me far more than like an average Tuesday, you know? Um, and so, you know, I could, I could cite that dream as being, um, as being a, a kind of inspiration for me to make art, to, to, to acknowledge magic as a force in the world, whatever, whatever I might want to say, but it, it's that same thing that we've been discussing. It's um, allowing it to be unknown, whatever it is. So, so uh, what is the something? Do you remember the being that sort of swooped you up? Do you, are there any like f- visual, physical traits you, you remember? Yes. Very specific. It's not um, exactly one thing. It was more of a community right. of things. Um but okay, okay. I, I won't, I can't uh, talk about what it is exactly because that would be, because, you know, language is kind of profane and, uh, mm-hmm. and I have to like preserve it in my mind as being um, not profaned by language. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't want to like, yeah, I, I absolutely know what you mean about profaning the experience with by trying to yeah squeeze it through the whole of specific words but um so only the specific words that don't do that that don't tarnish the experience um you, uh, you it strikes me that you have good boundaries around that that you wouldn't uh, but i did but even if you didn't i have no desire to like bully you into um <laughs> explaining it but but Okay, but so I like the community of things. Have you read Childhood's End by you know, Arthur C. Clarke? It's interesting you mentioned that because I just got a copy of it and had some intuition to read it recently. And uh, I, I know that something about it is, is right for me. So, Holy shit. T- tell me what you think when you finish it because it's so I, – I read it because uh, We on We, um, the musician I mentioned – in our in our art conversation um recommended it to me and it's so fucking good i think oh i think it kind of reignited it made me remember that i really liked sci-fi as a kid and like why did i ever start associating that just with nerd shit and you know superhero franchises that i want to distance myself from um it, but it's got it, the rare, like, satisfying ending to a thing. Um, yeah. So, so, but it, it, that made me think of community. Mm-hmm. Community of things made me think of childhood's end. So I'm curious your, your thoughts about it. But um, the, what about the experience up in the sky? Was it, ju- is it just this palette of emotions you remember? Or were there certain, Scrooge being visited by the ghost 
moments of clarity you you that caused these emotions it wasn't it wasn't like that it was more i mean psychedelic is kind of the word i would put on it just that i was filled with experience that was beyond me and uh feelings that i hadn't felt without any uh you know impetus just purely feeling these things and being in the sky i remember that feeling very strongly you know which but not what you were looking down on from the sky it wasn't about yeah like sensual Mm -hmm. experience it was coming back and i've had a few of these experiences in life i mean the the best word for them often for me is epiphany um because that doesn't really point at anything concrete. It just points at a kind Mm of overwhelming experience. And I've had a few of these unprompted experiences like this in my life that um, I just feel like uh, within one moment, this, this happened to be, you know, um, in this kind of space that I can't call a dream or or not dream, but um, I've had them in, in waking life where it, where, I was one person and then five seconds later, I was a totally different person and I had just experienced something without any reason. And it stuck. Like you feel like you're still that different person. Yes. I've had about four of these throughout my life and, uh, and I just radically changed like, um, Thirty to forty percent of me changed. I would say in that moment. Hey, it's Dave. I'm not talking to the guest right now. I just want to let you know I intentionally construct these episodes to allow my guests to speak as much as possible. But if you enjoy the perspective of mine that does come through in this podcast, and you want to hear more from me, please subscribe to my weekly newsletter. It's called Hella Immaculate. There is a link in the show notes that you can click and sign up right away. You can also go to my website, thisisdavemar.com. What you'll get is every week an essay from me and basically a mood board of links, sometimes mutual aid fundraisers and music that I recommend. It's like we're in a conversation and hopefully I'm sharing cool stuff with you. I'm either your cool friend or your slightly anxious friend, probably both. Anyway, if you like hearing from me and you want to hear more, subscribe to Hello Immaculate. Thanks. And now back to the conversation. Dude, you're totally teeing me up for my question here, which oh. is what's your coma? Get, uh, you know, un- unless you, I know you you said you had done some sort of thinking in advance of us talking. But uh, uh, unless you're very attached to some other transformational moment where you were one person before and another person after, I would love to hear about one of these split second, uh, 30 to 40% of your person changing moments. I mean, the thing is, they're not very interesting to talk about because I can't put into words what happened. I mean, this is part of where my interest in the unknown comes from is that when this happened and 
what happened and how to talk about what happened is all so nebulous. Sure, sure, sure. As as borne out by our <laughs> conversation, a yeah. lot of it, you know. Yeah. But um, but I but I I I I don't fully believe that that's true because what I'm not as interested in the description of the moment itself necessarily as the parts of you that changed what it looked like what it felt like before and behaviors habits patterns that changed after i guess i mean to describe one of the moments i and this is very yeah. very mythological i happened to be sitting under a tree which i mean i love that that was the case but um, right you know of course it makes me think of like newton or the buddha or you know whatever like sure. these these classic examples of the tree um and let's hit some demographics you're what age i was um at this time i was 14 years old this one okay you're where is the where where are you geographically i was in uh, northern california in a school uh that i um that i was attending for a year until i um sort of kicked myself out of it uh and i was sitting on the lawn under a tree and there were people around it was just like kind of okay mid conversation like i wasn't speaking at the moment but there were it was like maybe five i think they were all it was like five girls sitting beside me or, or with me and we were all talking and and it just happened in a second. And I felt as if my uh, my reality changed. And what the closest thing I can explain, I uh, used to explain it is that my, um, it felt like a film had been on top of me and was removed. So mm. things did physically look different. Sound suddenly sounded different. Um, I felt different from the inside out. My experience of other people was different. Every aspect of everything was different and it just stuck and it's, and I've never lost that. And that's happened a, a few times. Um, I can't put a finger on like what personality traits changed because it's not quite like that. Okay. It's more like my relationship with reality or something changed i mean this is again just so difficult to talk no about, i know i know i know it, it, it's just these things i mean and the fact that i can't talk about it the unknown quality of it has been very as i keep saying very generative um and very important sure. to me and um and i mean i've always thought maybe you could explain this through some kind of you know, hormonal shift that happened in, in this moment. Sure, and, sure. You know, maybe that was that or, or, but I'm not going to simply reduce it to that. Um, right. Not that I think but, even a hormonal shift shift is something to be reduced. I mean, there's mystery yeah. in that, but, um, you know, it also but happened. Let's take the sound like, yeah. okay. It did. It's did these changes. I mean, you well, it sounds like they stuck. Like yes. you said, it's they stay different, but in what way 
did say your relationship to hearing the world change? Was it like, I mean, I'm just going to throw out some, some concrete things to try to knock things loose. Is it like you heard deeper bass in the world? Was it like things got screechier? Was it all of a sudden you're, you're, you're hearing ambient noises as much as you're hearing human voices? And, and how did you know that that relationship to sound stayed the same after? Yeah. Um, you want to get profane on me here, huh? Uh, well, to, to profane it as as <laughs> as much as you're willing. Again, I I'm not trying to degrade the experience. I do understand taking something impossible to describe and describing it. Don't don't ruin it, but but yeah. if it's robust enough, it can't be ruined. I, yeah, it's not know, that it anyway. can be ruined. It's that. It's as if I had certainty before and I had mm. certainties about what things are and sound. If we're going to focus on that, you know, you would hear, we have these, these sensory gating channels that we work with where we turn certain things off right and we focus on one sound we focus on someone speaking to the exclusion of something else and mm -hmm. that's how we get through the world right um and and that's also a way in which we identify things and name things and it makes the world smaller and easier for us to manage but for me it was as if in that moment the certainty went away and uncertainty opened up and, and it wasn't just that intellectually it opened up. It was that I, I felt it. So suddenly a sound mm -hmm. wasn't someone speaking or a leaf rustling, but it was, um, but it was just sound, you know, mm -hmm. and not, not entirely, you know, in the way that people talk about enlightenment, happening to people you know happens to a farmer who's just tilling the same soil over and over again and they just experience enlightenment they don't just stay in this state of dumbfounded enlightenment forever but it happens and then you take something from it and then that changes you forever and and that's what I think happened. I mean, I don't want to call it enlightenment because that sounds yeah heavy and 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 and, but I do think it's it's something that just flops into your lap. I mean, have you ever had this kind of experience? Um, I th I think I've had moments, but I've I think I've let them go. I think I've not I think I've been able to doubt doubt the solidity of them to the point of of undermining them. Um I have had it, it, for, it's so funny cuz for me epiphanies are so related to thought to like this is a lesson I've learned about life. I've boiled down uh, the thing I need to change. You know, I figured it all out. Um, 
and my relationship to those is that um maybe maybe you'll like this and i god i don't mean to be the evangelical um recovery guy even but there's a there's a thing in a piece of literature that says uh repetition is the only form of permanence that nature can achieve so the idea that the epiphany doesn't stay the epiphany unless I wake up every single day and continue to act according to that thing Mm -hmm. that I've learned. Um, and that's been really powerful for me, um, to, to, to reaffirm a a handful of ideas that I've accumulated in that way. Um, I, I'm, I struggle, you know, I have like, big feelings i remember i have kind of mystical feelings i remember but nothing as as like i'm i mean we you say it's not concrete under the tree at 14 and in a lot of ways it sounds like it's not but also i mean it it sounds at least like uh goosebump inducing it's at least goosebump inducing to hear you know which is a concrete thing so it it, it sounds like a and and I'm really struggling to remember those specific moments yeah. in my life. Yeah, I um I find that you're speaking about it intellectu- as an intellectual phenomenon. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me it's very very disembodied. Uh feeling based and and physical mm-hmm. as well. So it's um it might even be the the joining of the physical and the feeling sense and the and the intellectual and the spirit it might actually be a moment when all those things just for a brief moment all of them overlap and that's the experience is that you're seeing you're actually experiencing the world in all of these ways and it's not as if i had i want to you know be very clear i didn't have some deep spiritual philosophical practice at this point Right. I was hanging out under a tree <laughs> talking about likely some kind of gossip and this happened. So I have no explanation for it. I have, and this is how these other experiences I've had too have been, you know, and some of them have been um, concrete to the point where my entire life actually did change, you know? Okay. I did choose a a new path and I, it was not a, I mean, choosing sounds like it's conscious, but it was just inevitable kind of. So on the concrete audio only format podcast, when given a choice to choose one of these moments, you went with the most abstract that didn't concrete change your life in some specific way. Well, it felt like the one that was most related to the topic of the unknown and uncertainty, uh, which has been no, um, I know important, but also I'm also just giving you a hard time. I'm no, no, that's uh, that you said at the beginning I of the conversation. You know to give me shit is to know me, and uh, and I and I and I gave you permission, right, right, you know. So um, okay, yeah. So I I receive your shit. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, well, okay. So, so that kind of clears up the last question I had about these experiences, which if you've had a handful of them, you know, 
three or four, I think you said, like, are they all kind of about this increase of uncertainty in a way? Are they all kind of shedding layers of, oh, I thought I know the world was this way. And now I don't even know. I don't have some new conception of the world. I just know it's not that in this same way that you're talking about chiseling away, you know, the, is, is that apophaticism? The, the thing you're talking about, about finding the thing by negating the things it's not. Yeah, I do think so. Yeah. I think that it's, um, so have all these, have all these, these experiences in some way been apophatic. Yeah, I think it's all been okay. a trend from certainty to uncertainty and towards realizing, you know, if, if there's that, you know, if there's the pie chart and, and what we know that we know is a, you know, a, a tiny sliver on that and what we know that we don't know is a, you know, a modest wedge and what we don't know that we, what we don't know is the majority, you know, 99% of it. Um, it's like seeing that whole pie chart. It's seeing mm. that, that that is the way things are. And, 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 um, and then finding, you know, again, feeling it and feeling some relief in that. So I just recently read this book called the conspiracy against the human race by Thomas Ligotti, mm. who's a horror writer and it's um this is not fiction although most of his work is this is a a kind of history of of pessimism including buddhism and mm. uh, nihilism and and all of the modes of seeing the negative side of reality and a friend i would mention it to a friend and and he read it afterwards and said it had been you know fairly dark for him to read it and for me it had been you know emancipatory breezy yeah well yeah, not, not yeah. breezy it'd been it, no, wonderful and and yeah i feel felt like emancipation like 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 liberated me from the 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 idea of of having to believe um the positive and not, i don't just mean positive in terms of you know uplifting i mean positive in terms of something is what it is and yeah and being grounded in that is is the, always the answer and um and i i find that always very very um satisfying so that's why i throughout this conversation when i think about the afterlife when i think about anything i tend to go in that direction because i it just seems to be more satisfying to my my soul i guess i don't I don't know if that's a dirty word. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I, the thing, the word, the like phrase that's coming up for me is, um, like negative capability, which is like the, um, kind of the like artistic uh, literary way I've heard of like holding multiple ideas at once but i also just imagine it in terms of like negative space of like you've got this as you're saying positive idea and being able to exist in the realm around that of like yeah but it could 
you know, the painting isn't just the painting. The painting is on a wall. Yeah. And I'm going to hang out on the wall here for a little bit. Yeah, I guess you could also think of it, you know, through through the sculpture metaphor, you have like a subtractive kind of sculpture yes. where you start yes. with a big old rock and you work it down to a tiny little elephant or you have nothing and you build the elephant up from I mean, those are those are two metaphorical ways of seeing it, I think, too. Um, and I think just different. And the way that you're saying feels, yeah, the way that feels natural to you is the subtractive way. That feels, yeah, it, it always feels to me like, like, yeah, like everything is already inside of me and I have to sort of see past all the clutter. That is the show. Thank you so much. Follow Ross. Go see his show in New York at Anonymous Gallery if you can. If not, stay healthy, man. Stay stay safe. Uh, you know, you're not the only one. Whatever it is, uh, you're not the only one. A lot of us feel that way, too. Okay? And, yeah, until next week, remember, you are a mist. Miracles, you can do them. Have faith, you're human. Miracles, you can do them. Have faith, you're human.